Hello, this is Randy Sutton, and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Randy Sutton. I am a retired police lieutenant with 34 years of service. I'm the author of A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. And I'm also the founder of The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers, a nationwide charity that helps injured and disabled cops. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode. Of course, on this show, we talk about all things law enforcement. And uh, generally speaking, I have a guest. Today, I do not. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is because I'm actually going to read an entire article it's unusual. I know that this isn't the norm for this show, but it's by Heather McDonald. Heather McDonald is the author of The War on Cops. Uh, she is one of the one of the the most incredible uh, writers on current events involving law enforcement that I've ever met. I've had her on this show before, but she was unavailable today. But she came out with a new article, and I and I, it's so spot on. And it will also open the door for the other discussions that I want to have today based on the articles that I will bring up uh, after, after I read this article. So this is from an article that she wrote in the Daily Mail. And uh, I'm going to start at the beginning. And uh, I, I really suggest if you are involved in this topic that you, you, you feel visceral about it, Check out her books. I mean, she is she is so spot on and such a researcher on facts, figures, and statistics that she could back up everything she says. And that's one of the things that I find uh, so amazing about her. So let's just get into the article. How dare left-wing prosecutors insist their policies are working while a murder surge disproportionately slaughters black Americans seethes Heather McDonald in a searing analysis of the carnage. Considering the unprecedented murder surge in America's cities over the last two years, one might expect progressive district attorneys to reconsider the policies that have kept criminals out of jails and on the streets. Think again. Last week, Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner told a local television news anchor He's not prepared to change course. Quote, it is working, unquote, Krasner claimed, a few days after another mass shooting had killed a 14-year-old football player and wounded four of his teammates following a high school scrimmage. The anchor noted incredulously that a thousand people had been killed in Philadelphia over 20 months. It is working, insisted Krasner. Krasner apparently defines a policy as working when it contributes to the highest number of murders and the highest number of uh, murder rate in a city's history. A record number of carjackings, the routine looting of stores, and savage beatings of innocent pedestrians. Krasner has a lack, has for, has a lack for denying the undeniable. In 2020, he made a similar Everything is going great claim. We don't have a crisis of lawlessness. We don't have a crisis of crime. We don't have a crisis of violence, he said in a December press conference. When the Philadelphia homicide court count was at its highest since 1960, 
despite the cities being 20% smaller in population. Krasner's 2020 no-crisis assertion triggered an acid response from former Philadelphia Mayor Michael Nutter. Quote, I have to wonder what kind of messed up world of white wokeness Krasner is living in to have so little regard for human lives lost, many of them black and brown, while he advances his own national profile as a progressive district attorney, unquote, Nutter remarked. For once, a, quote, white privilege, unquote, accusation was justified. Every time a left-wing prosecutor claims his policies are working, Every time members of the mainstream media scoff at the idea that crime is out of control, they are essentially saying that black lives don't matter. It is black people who have borne the brunt of the recent crime surge. In 2020, as anti-cop hatred swept the country following the death of George Floyd, an additional 3,400 black people were killed by gun homicide in 2020 compared to 2019. That's according to the CDC. The rate of which blacks died of criminal shootings increased 39.5% from 2019 to 2020. Why don't their lives matter? Black males between the ages of 10 and 24 died of shootings at 21.6 times the rate of white males that ages range in 2020. For males between the ages of 25 and 44, the black-white difference in the gun victimization was 16.7. In Philadelphia, blacks are at least 85% of the homicide victims, though they are only 41% of the population. In the first nine months of 2022, someone was shot lethally or non-lethally in Philadelphia every five hours. That rate accelerated between Memorial Day and Labor Day to produce a shooting victim every three hours. Those victims were overwhelmingly black. If five to eight whites were being shot a day in the city of brotherly love, there would have been an uprising. And what's more, this carnage was predictable. Krasner came into office in 2018, pledging to dismantle alleged systemic racism in law enforcement. For progressive prosecutors, police chiefs, and judges, fighting supposed criminal justice racism means not enforcing the law since any colorblind constitutional law enforcement inevitably has a disparate impact on black criminals. Not because the law is racist, but because the black crime rate is so disproportionately high. Accordingly, Krasner stopped prosecuting a host of offenses, including retail theft under 500, drug possession, and a range of illegal gun possession cases. In 2022, 66% of violent felony arrests made by the Philadelphia police went nowhere, almost all withdrawn by Krasner's office. 49% of illegal gun possession cases were likewise sent down the memory hole. Criminals got the message. Crime has no consequences. Philadelphia's discrimination, decriminalization approach, which began in 2015, but which Krasner vastly intensified, resulted in 74 additional homicides a year, according to 
former federal prosecutor Thomas Hogan. But now the pushback is gathering steam. Relatives of homicide victims have been testifying before a Pennsylvania House committee that seeks Krasner's impeachment. I'm here because of the lawlessness that continues to plague the city, said Nikisha Billa last week. Billa's 21-year-old son was fatally gunned down in 2021. Quote, this is not a political stance. This is a stance from a mother whose whole world has been turned upside down, Billa told the committee. Indeed, Billa supported Krasner's decriminalization policies until she saw the results. So how can Krasner claim his policies are working? Because for the left, diverting, message, my, diverting minorities from jail and prison is an end in itself, a way to strike a blow against, quote, mass incarceration, unquote. And Krasner acknowledges no connection between his policies and Philadelphia's crime woes. There is, quote, absolutely no correlation between a prosecutor being pro progressive or traditional and the rate of crime he insisted during his TV interview last week. Eight out of 10 of the most violent cities are, quote, Trump cities, Krasner said. Quote, we got to get real about this. Facts matter, unquote. Well, facts do matter. And Krasner's facts are as wrong as his policies. The 10 most violent U.S. cities in 2019, the latest best data available were Democratic strongholds, from St. Louis and Baltimore in slots 1 and 2 to Memphis and Cleveland in slots 9 and 10. Among U.S. cities with a population of a quarter million or more, the first 19 with the highest homicide rate in 2018 were run by Democrats. Republican-led Tulsa came in at slot 20. A minimum of 12 major cities broke their homicide records in 2021. Among them, Philadelphia, Portland, Austin, Baton Rouge, Rochester, New York, and St. Paul, all have Democratic mayors. Krasner claimed during his interview that the homicide rate in 2020 was 40% higher in Trump states than in Biden states, an assertion presumably based on a study by the left-wing think tank, Third Way. State homicide rates are not particularly revealing about crime policies. However, crime and policing are intensely local matters with wide variations across different geographical areas. No resident wondering about whether to move to a particular city looks up the state crime average. The Third Way study made much of Mississippi, which the organization ranked number one in per capita capital murder rates, but the Mississippi average was driven by Jackson, a city run since 2017 by self-described socialist Chokwa Antar Lumbumba. Maybe that's wrong. Upon election, Lumumba pledged to make Jackson the, quote, <laughs> most radical city on the planet. In 2020, Jackson's homicide rate reached its highest point in its history. Jackson beat that record in 2021 with a jaw-dropping rate of 100 homicides per 100,000 population by comparison. St. Louis's homicide rate in 2019 was 64 murders per 100,000 population. Decriminalization policies in other cities, whether New Orleans, Chicago, or New York, coupled with Democrats' rhetorical war on cops and are producing 
similar results. Short of rebuilding the inner city family, the only certain means for lowering crime are arrests, prosecution, and incarceration. Ideally, society could prevent criminals from reoffending while keeping them outside of the criminal justice system. But the record of social service diversion program is dismal. The delegitimizing of law enforcement after the death of George Floyd in May 2020 has emboldened criminals and demoralized cops across the country. Its effects have been bloodiest, however, in left-wing jurisdictions like Krasner's that have decided that lowering prison counts is per se a form of racial justice, regardless of how many black lives are lost. Krasner's policies are not working. And to pretend as the left does that crime is a racist fiction or a dog whistle conjured up by white supremacists treats those lost black lives as meaningless. That is one of the most spot-on articles I've ever read. And I thought it was important that I read that in its entirety to you. Thank you to uh, the, uh, the publication Daily Mail for printing that and for Heather McDonald for writing it. You know, when I look at the articles that I have that I discuss when we have our show here, so many of those are related to politics. And I find that particularly sad because politics and policing should not go hand in hand. You know, I talk about Lady Justice fairly often on the show. And Lady Justice is the symbol of the law system in this country, of the criminal justice system. And it is a statue of a woman holding um, a sword and the light of liberty, and she's blindfolded. And the point of that is that criminal justice and the law enforcement system in America should be blind to race, religion, color, national origin. It should be judged on each individual basis for someone who commits a crime. The dismantling of the criminal justice system throughout America is causing families to be torn apart. It is creating an environment of lawlessness throughout the nation. It is making our streets far less safe for families children, and everyone else. And yet, we see this continued attack upon the, quote, system, unquote, and the law enforcement community. This has forced what I call a crisis of under-policing. You've heard me refer to this concept before. Under-policing is when there are not enough law enforcement officers to handle the criminal activity and calls for service in their jurisdictions. When someone has to call 911 because there is an intruder coming in their house and they have to wait an hour or two or six for a patrol response, that is a failed system. And the system is being deconstructed from within, 
in very many of these cases. Krasner, for example, same thing in New York with Bragg, the district attorney there, with Kim Fox in Chicago, with uh, George Gascon in Los Angeles, in Portland, in Seattle. We're seeing this wave of what I can only refer to as some hysterical response to the events of George Floyd. George Floyd was a spark that caused a flame which is still burning today when it comes down to the radical policies being put in place by state legislators, by district attorneys, by mayors, and even and even by the Biden administration itself. When are Americans going to wake up and say enough is enough? That's what my new book is about, and it will be out soon, Rescuing 911, the fight for America's safety. Because if, if Americans don't unite, if the people of Philadelphia don't stand together and say, we can't have this, we cannot have this, this criminality destroying our city, then they're going to continue to put people like Krasner into office. When at this point in history, it's already been demonstrated on a, on a, a, very, a very intense basis that this, that this insanity is nothing but destructive to the entire city. So let's talk about a couple other things that, that are in the same vein. You know, this anti, the anti-law enforcement narrative. The, the, there is a, a word that is used so often today, police reform. And it's, it's bandied about from mayors to president to the city councils reform. We've got to reform the police. It's not the police who need to be reformed. It is a failure of these politicians, these leaders, and I'm, I'm using air quotes with leaders, to unjustly attack the only people who are actually caring about their communities and proving it by often given, giving their own lives to protect others. The number of police officers being shot, we're seeing almost every day another shooting of a law enforcement officer. And many of these shootings could be prevented. They could be prevented by keeping the people who are shooting these officers in jail where they belong for the other crimes that they have not been prosecuted for. And that's not just in criminal activity towards the police. In Seattle, the police have announced that they will no longer be investigating adult rape cases. You heard me right. They, can't, they don't have the manpower. They don't have the expertise to investigate rape cases, one of the most vile crimes that could ever occur. Whose fault is this? 
the Seattle mayor and leadership. And of course, the Washington legislature who has invoked some draconian anti-law enforcement statutes in their pursuit of wokeness. It has driven law enforcement officers to leave in droves. The recruitment has diminished to a point where it is a trickle of what it used to be. The city of St. Louis recently gave a police test. Normally thousands of people would have shown up for that job. Not one person. Why? Because of the radical mayor, because of Cory Bush, the senator there, because of the incredibly, um, incredibly dumb, as you know, I can't even come up with a better word, dumb laws that have been put into place to limit the police, not to limit the criminals. That's the, that's the insanity here. Laws are being made, created, policies are being put into place that limit law enforcement, but don't limit the, the, the violent criminals. This is by very definition insane because in essence, it is, it is taking the population of these cities and literally creating an environment where they have to fight for their own lives because there just aren't enough cops to do it anymore. So you add, you add the exodus of cops leaving in droves and the, and the trickle of people willing to take the job. For instance, in my hometown of Las Vegas, where I served for 24 years, in an interview last week on this show with the sheriff, recruitment was down 70%. What does that mean? That, that means that for every 100 people that used to sign up for our police test, only 30 are showing up. Now, that's a. let me tell you why that is such a concerning number. When law enforcement agencies have a smaller pool of qualified candidates that could, could join the ranks, very often they do the worst thing that they could do, which is diminish their own rules and regulations about who they hire. In essence, they diminish their standards. This is already taking place around the country. Now, the ramifications of this have been felt many times in the past when policies were put into place for racial diversification. And when that happens, there are allowances made that diminish the qualifications for people to join the department. What happens then is that those who should not be police officers wind up being police officers and then commit acts of misconduct or corruption that are consistent with their former lives. For instance, one of the harshest examples took place in Miami a number of years ago when there was a massive influx of Spanish-speaking people into the city. In order to, to make the racial equity more appealing when it comes down to the statistics, the city decided to hire people based on the fact that they could speak Spanish. 
many were not even given a background test. And as a, res as a result of that, gang members and criminals were recruited into the ranks of law enforcement. This led to the inevitable, one of the worst scandals in law enforcement history, where a group of police officers who were, in fact, criminals, had their own gang killed rival dope dealers, threw their bodies in the water, and sold their drugs. It was one of the greatest embarrassments of the city of Miami in history. Well, I'm afraid that we are going to be seeing similar circumstances if we don't, as a nation, reverse course. And this is going to take courage on the part of elected officials, but also it's going to take it's going to take the people, you, me, your brothers, your sisters, your nephews, your neighbors, to say, bring back normalcy. Bring back justice. Bring back safety. And if we don't, we're going to continue to see this tsunami of violent crime continue to surge across America. If you haven't been touched by violent crime yet, there's a good chance you will be. And then just like the mother who was quoted in that article, who originally believed that Krasner's policies were positive until her son was killed, that's when the realities touch us. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. 
Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. So before I get into some of the next articles that I want to talk about, I am very, very concerned, as you probably know from listening and seeing the show, about the safety of law enforcement officers. It is, it is the most important aspect of what I do now, both from um, appearing on the show and telling you the truth about law enforcement, to what I do in my role as the founder of the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. We are a nationwide charity, and we need your help. Many of our officers are suffering, not just from physical injuries, but from emotional and mental injuries as well. Sometimes they're too embarrassed to ask for help from their own departments, but that's one of the ways that the Wounded Blue steps in. You see, we are literally a resource for every police officer in America and every law enforcement agency in America. We're completely confidential. I have a team of trained, certified peer team officers. Every single one of my officers has been shot or stabbed or beaten or run over, but they all have experience in being injured physically and or emotionally and psychologically. You see, you feel very much alone when you're injured severely or suffering from emotional traumas. Well, that's where the Wounded Blue steps in. You don't have to be alone. In fact, our motto, as you can see from this t-shirt, is never forgotten, never alone. So if you're law enforcement and you're struggling, contact us at thewoundedblue.org, thewoundedblue.org. There's a contact form and we'll be with you shortly. But if you're just a good old American who wants to help law enforcement and support it, not just in words, but in deeds, Go to thewoundedblue.org, go to the donate page, and donate 10 bucks a month, 15 bucks a month, whatever you can afford. Because we need heroes to protect their heroes. And you can be that hero. So go to thewoundedblue.org. Now there's another element of, of law enforcement safety I wanna talk about. And that is your digital safety. What do I mean by that? Well, I was, I, was, I was schooled by a retired police officer who's got an incredible service called OfficerPrivacy.com. OfficerPrivacy.com, to, to me, is, is an essential need in law enforcement now because those who target law enforcement officers have become very sophisticated in the use of the Internet to dox, to harass, to locate law enforcement officers across the country. Well, OfficerPrivacy.com scrubs that from the internet. They have, they have an amazing team of people that they go in there, they search the internet, and they remove 
those references so you become less of a target. I urge every law enforcement officer in this country to go to officerprivacy.com. It's not expensive. It is some amazing peace of mind to protect you and your family. Officerprivacy.com. In fact, they're going to be at the next Law Enforcement Survival Summit, which is going to be in Terre Haute, Indiana, in, on October 11th through the 14th. So they're, they're, they're a strong partner of the Wounded Blue. I urge you to go check them out. Um, one other announcement that I want to make. When it comes down to officer safety, the financial security for your family is essential. I've got, a, I've got a horror story to tell you. Involved a friend of mine who was killed in the line of duty. He had been recently remarried, but he failed to safeguard his assets. And so when he died, his ex-wife got everything. So ever since then, I've had, I've had been very cognizant of what that means. So when Laurel Langmire, who is a five times New York Times bestselling author, and I were speaking, she's, she is the guru when it comes down to wealth creation and wealth, uh, you know, uh, preventing it to, uh, to go elsewhere for, for financial security. She and I were having this discussion and she was telling me that she's going to have an event, a conference in Reno, October 26th through the 28th. And she was so incredibly moved by some of the stories I told about our officers who have been injured and disabled that she said, I want to help the wounded blue. And I want to help those officers out there who need to protect their assets, because we never know what tomorrow is going to bring. So she very generously said, Randy, anybody that you send up here, anybody in law enforcement, I will give this seminar for free. Now, if a couple is going up and, and she does, she does suggest that this is done by a couple. That's a $400 value. And she's going to, and she's just going to waive the fee for, for law enforcement officers and other first responders. So the 26th through 20. Oh, by the way, she invited me to be the MC. So I'm going to be there. I'm going to be talking about law enforcement, but she's going to be giving skills. And when you walk out of that conference, you're going to have the security. You're going to have the documentation to know exactly what is going to take place in the event of, of your, of your demise or your retirement. You have to protect against that too. So um, go to asklaurel.com. That's L-O-R-A-L. Asklaurel.com slash Randy Sutton. And sign up for this incredible event in Reno, Nevada, October 26th to the 28th. Come see me. I'll be signing books and kissing babies and shaking hands. And I'll be having a great time as well. But this is so critically important. Remember, officer safety is your family's financial security. If you have any questions, feel free to call me. Contact me at my, my personal email, randy at thewoundedblue.org. It's randy at thewoundedblue.org. Lots more to talk about. 
This is a really disturbing headline for a lot of different reasons. Now, I have served in law enforcement for 34 years. I worked many, many assignments, including task force assignment with the FBI. I had a partner who was FBI, who was a great, great law enforcement officer, and I worked with some phenomenal agents. But what has been happening with the politicization of the FBI is something that every American should be very, very concerned about. This is a headline. 30 ex-FBI agents stand up to support whistleblower who exposed agencies' political bias. 30 former FBI agents, including a retired deputy assistant director, head of counterterrorism, and five SWAT members have spoken out publicly in support of suspended FBI whistleblower Stephen Friend. Their heartfelt messages obtained exclusively by the New York Post show a deep and widespread anguish about the politicization of the FBI. Quote, it's time to stop the FBI from being the enforcer of a political party's ideology, says Ernie Tabaldi, a retired agent from San Francisco. We need to reestablish the FBI as the apolitical and independent law enforcement entity that it always was. He expressed gratitude to friend for having the courage to stand up to the corruption that has taken over the leadership of the FBI. Many former agents hailed Friend, a SWAT team member in Florida, as a hero, and he was punished for refusing to participate in what he regarded as unnecessarily heavy-handed SWAT raids over January 6th misdemeanors. In his whistleblower complaint to the Department of Justice Inspector General, Friend alleged that the FBI has been manipulating case file management in order to falsely inflate the threat of domestic terrorism and using unconstitutional excessive force against political dissenters. Five former SWAT team members in Friend's support group agree that raiding a nonviolent person of a misdemeanor offense was wrong. Torchy, who led the Unabomber task force, says he didn't even use a SWAT team in 1996 to arrest Theodore Kaczynski, a violent domestic terrorist who had killed three people and injured 23 others. He says no real FBI agent would defend the position of using SWAT teams to arrest nonviolent senior citizens and other political others with political opinions not currently tolerated by this administration compounded by the idea that many of these cases involve misdemeanor criminal charges. This activity generates tension in communities and increases the potential for tragic results and injuries to FBI agents and citizens. The article goes on, but I think you get the gist of it. And from a law enforcement point of view, I understand how power can corrupt. We all know that particular adage, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's what's happened with the FBI leadership. We have seen an agency that used to have almost universal, almost universal respect 
by the entire law enforcement community and the people of America. They used to be called the untouchables. Now they are the untrustables. And this is degrading the entire faith of the American people in all of law enforcement. Now the, the, the depth of the corruption, and, and when I say corruption, there's a lot of different kinds of corruption. Let's talk about what the textbook meaning is. Textbook definition of corruption is the misuse of public power for private benefit. Sometimes that's money, sometimes that's sex, and sometimes it's political ideology. By all appearances, and I judge myself to be pretty fair-minded, especially when it comes down to judging other law enforcement officers and agencies, they've gone off the rails. And the only, the only thing that can be done now is a, a true commission that wants to get to the truth and then can make decisions about the leadership of the FBI. You know, we've seen from the Inspector General of the FBI, we've seen a lot of things brought to light and a lot of things that were not brought to light, I might add, to the public that reveal the depth of the political manipulation at the top of the FBI. Now, every American, regardless of you having a D behind your name or an R, should be very concerned about this. Because depending upon whose office is going to depend upon who is using them for their own benefits. And the power that the Department of Justice has is immense. And the power that the FBI has is also immense. There has to be safeguards put into place. There have to be the people who are willing to do that job on a nonpartisan basis for the good of the American people. I don't know if this administration would ever consent to doing that. That's why I'm, I am very hopeful that when these elections come around, that there will be people put into office that will care more about true justice in America than the political environment. And that's, this is one of the, this is one of the most critical times in America, I sincerely believe. If we don't accept this responsibility, the Stasi and the KGB will have nothing on our government. We're already seeing similar tactics employed, and that's frightening as an American. Not all is doom and gloom in the law enforcement world. I saw this article and wanted to share it with you. This is from the Police Tribune. 
17-year-old girl helped save a wounded officer seeing him shot in a gun battle with a su suspect. This is in Excelsior Springs, Missouri. A 17-year-old girl helped save an Excelsior Springs police officer who was repeatedly shot by fleeing night by a fleeing suspect with a history of assaulting law enforcement officers. The incident began approximately 5 p.m. on October 1st when officers with the Excelsior Springs Police spotted 64-year-old Carl Carell in the parking lot of a Price Chopper store. The officers knew Carell had an active warrant for assault on a law enforcement officer, so they attempted to stop his vehicle in the parking lot. The suspect refused to pull over, pulled onto the road. One of the officers pulled in behind him to block him. The other pulled in front of him to block him. And the suspect rammed his truck into one of the patrol cars multiple times before he finally stopped his vehicle. That's when he pulled out a gun and opened fire on the officer who was in front. He hit that officer several times. The second officer opened fire on the suspect, killing him. Ava Donegan, 17, said she and her boyfriend were waiting in a red light at the intersection, and they saw the officer shot right in front of her vehicle. She said, I saw the cop get out, and then I saw him get shot a few times. After that, we both ducked and started calling the police. The cop who was shot was right in front of my car. He was asking me to get out and help him put his tourniquet on. He told me that it was completely numb and his hand was completely limp. The team jumped in to help the officer secure the tourniquet before she assisted him in removing his ballistic vest and calling for help over the radio. I realized he needed help. It was all instinct, she said. The wounded officer was rushed to a local hospital, was later listed in stable condition. The officer will need additional surgeries to repair the damage caused by the bullets. Donegan, the daughter of an intensive care unit nurse, said she was familiar with how to use tourniquets and that she is interested in working in the medical field after she finishes her senior year at high school. I'm just glad he's okay, she said. It gives me good peace of mind. So Americans are willing to step in. Americans are willing to do something that goes above and beyond to help law enforcement. She's the latest in, in a number of these situations. I've seen many reports of people stepping in even while a gunfight is taking place to help a police officer. And isn't that what America is truly about? Because despite what the politicians tell you, the vast amount of people in America support and trust their police. Every study has shown that. But you will rarely see those studies in the mainstream media. Why? It doesn't go along with the narrative. It doesn't go along with the Krasner crowd. It doesn't go along with the, the senators and the city councils up in Illinois and Washington and Oregon as they continue to invoke incredibly restrictive laws that restrict law enforcement from literally doing their jobs. In fact, that's what I want to talk to you about next. This is, this is an incredible story to me. Inevitably, every time that I do this show, there's craziness from a couple states. And California appears to be the number one in the crazy category. 
California Governor Gavin Newsom signs bill decriminalizing jaywalking. Advocates of the bill decriminalizing jaywalking argue that it will end instances of racial profile. This is their narrative. Everything has to be based on race in order for them to push their incredibly liberal, radical policies. Governor Gavin Newsom on Friday signed a bill that decriminalized jaywalking, allowing pedestrians to cross the street away from intersections without being ticketed. The Freedom to Walk Act. Oh, I love, I love what they call what they call their their uh, their laws. The Freedom to Walk Act. Uh, under the bill, an officer can stop and cite a pedestrian jaywalking when a reasonably careful person would realize there's an immediate danger of collision. So basically, if the car actually hits the guy, maybe they can give the guy a ticket. It should not be a criminal offense to safely cross the street. So as long as you make it across the street, you're okay. Don't get hit by that car. In the hospital, they'll give you a ticket. When expensive tickets and unnecessary confrontations with police impact only certain communities, can you say lie? It's time to reconsider how we use our law enforcement resources and whether our jaywalking laws really do protect pedestrians. We should be, plus, this is where this comes from. Plus, we should be encouraging people to get out of their cars and walk for health and environmental issues. So, what's the real impact of this? You got zombie like homeless people roaming the streets. One of the tools that the police have is if they're standing in the road or just sauntering across purposefully limiting traffic to go by, there's a law that says, no, 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 you can't do that. Well, guess what? That law is not there anymore. This isn't going to, this has nothing to do with, with race. This has to do with power. And once again, limiting the ability of the police to police. You see, the, the radical left seems to be bent on diminishing the ability for law enforcement to contact anybody, all in the names of racial equity. So what does that mean in reality? That means that, that criminal laws that could have been used to do proactive policing are now taken away from the law enforcement officers. Hence, you see, there have been demonstrably less arrests, demonstrably less tickets. Now, what? listen, There's I hated writing tickets. When I was a Princeton police officer, that's basically all I did because I was ordered to do that. You go out there with your radar and write people tickets, write mom and pa ticket. I didn't like that. That was, that was my job. I had to do it. But the reason was because there is legitimate studies that that have been that have been put into place which shows that people are afraid of getting tickets and so they slow down well what's that called that's called consequences for actions now the left the radical left wants to like krasner and like all those da's we talked about they want no consequences for actions and it is that which is destroying the public safety
And even though we are seeing the bodies stack up in the cities like New York and Portland and Seattle and Philadelphia, it doesn't seem to be enough to get people out of their homes and into the voting booths to, to vote for the right people. People, I don't care whether they're a Democrat or a Republican, but somebody that cares about the public safety. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, it seems that the Democrat Party is in lockstep with, with people like Newsom and Krasner and the radical left to impose the anti-law enforcement defunding, demoralizing, dehumanizing part of their agenda. And it continues today. It continues to rock the public safety. And there's a, another nice article. Street renamed honor two NYPD detectives killed undercover nearly two decades ago. This is from the Staten Island Advance. Nearly 20 years after two Staten Island detectives paid the ultimate sacrifice for the borough they swore to protect, the intersection where they were found fatally wounded now bears their legacy. As of Saturday, under the street sign for St. Paul Avenue in Tompkinsville, a new sign reads, Detective James V. Namorin Way. Attached to the same pole, the sign for Hannah Street bears the name Detective Rodney J. Andrews. Legislation for renaming was penned by Council Member Camilla Hanks, who, joined, who was joined Saturday at the ceremony by the NYPD's top brass, government leaders, and the families of the late officers. That's a nice symbol of respect, and I'm happy to see that they did it. New York City, of course, needs to look at many of their other policies and actions. So at the end of each show, we eulogize and memorialize officers who've given their lives in the line of duty. Senior Patrol Officer Anthony Martin, Austin Police Department, Texas. Senior Patrol Officer Tony Martin was killed in a motorcycle crash at the intersection of State Highway 29 and Liberty Hill, 6 a.m. Officer Martin was traveling eastbound when a vehicle traveling eastbound attempted to turn left and struck the police motorcycle. The officer died at the scene. He was a United States Air Force Security Forces veteran has served with the Austin Police Department for 15 years. He is survived by his wife, son, two daughters. Senior Patrol Officer Anthony Martin, Austin Police Department, Texas. End of watch Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I was also advised literally on the way to film this show that an officer was murdered this morning in Polk County, Florida. The officer has not been identified yet. He was involved in a search warrant made entry into a trailer of a methamphetamine suspect, took rounds, and was killed. Another officer who gave their life in the line of duty, serving and protecting. That's our show for today. Uh, once again, I urge you to do a couple things. First of all, support the Wounded Blue. Go to thewoundedblue.org. Give what you can. $10 or 15 bucks a month. If enough of us do it, it can save lives. Also, if you are a police officer and you are struggling, please reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook at The Wounded Blue. 
You can find us on Instagram at the wound at wounded blue, or me at LT Randy Sutton. Follow me on Facebook at the Voice for American Law Enforcement. We've got over a hundred thousand followers on that Facebook page now, despite Facebook doing everything they can to limit the reach of that page. So go to the Wounded Blue, go to the Voice for American Law Enforcement on Facebook, like it, follow it. And if you want to connect with me, if you want to support the Wounded Blue in a greater way, other than just throwing 10 or 15 bucks at it, you want to become a sponsor. You want to do something that has a lasting effect. Contact me at randy at thewoundedblue.org, randy at thewoundedblue.org. We've got some amazing partners now. And if you go to our page, which is about to go up on our new website, you're going to see who those partners are. We couldn't do it without them, without their financial support. They care, and so should you. This is Randy Sutton, the voice for American law enforcement here on the America Out Loud Network. I'll see you in two weeks, taking a week off next week. Thanks. 1-11-1-10.